0: Take your Bibles, please, and open them to uh, the book of Genesis, chapter forty-two. And then we're going to be looking some at forty-five, maybe some at forty-six and forty-seven, since we're, you know, telling uh, sort of the story of Jacob. Jim Levine was the CNN bureau chief for the Middle East back in the early nineteen-eighties, and as he was there in nineteen eighty-three, one day. Uh, Short man with a beard came in, kidnapped him using a handgun. He was taken to a small room somewhere there in Beirut, at Beirut, and uh, chained to a radiator, shackled to a radiator. He said that the days that followed were just a blur of monotony and fear. But he said he had a lot of time to think. He said he had always thought that Jesus' teaching on forgiveness was from wimps, but he said he came to realize that the man with the gun was the wimp. And then he did something that he hadn't done for years and years and years. He prayed. And this is what he prayed. He said, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would forgive men like these as I am forgiving them now. Because you have used them to help bring me to you and your son. Isn't it marvelous how God can work? He can take even bitter, hostile men and and work through that in some way that someone has come to really know him. Now, Levine was eventually released, of course, so he was able to tell his story. But there's an Old Testament character that sort of had a similar thing happen to him. And that was Joseph. Joseph was one who had been bound in slavery and then in prison for 13 years. And it wasn't because of the treachery of terrorists. It was because of the treachery of his own brothers. So let's review Joseph's story just a little bit here and then we'll start digging in on the part for today. You know, he was Jacob's favorite son, child of his old age. He was shown favoritism. That made his brothers jealous. When they had the opportunity, they sold him into slavery, told Jacob that his son Joseph had been killed by a wild beast. And, uh, you know, Joseph was put in slavery in Egypt, first for a man named Potiphar, and uh, then because of Potiphar's wife's, you know, accusations, he ended up in prison. He was there and and forgotten there. Eventually, it came to the place where he got the chance to be released and to interpret Pharaoh's dream and to make a suggestion about what needed to be done because of the coming famine. And Pharaoh and his advisors thought, well, who would know better than Joseph? So Joseph came second in command of all of Egypt, right next to Pharaoh himself. The famine, after seven years of plenty, came And guess what? The famine spread to Canaan, where Joseph's brothers lived. Let's see what happens. Genesis 42, verses 6 and 7. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the one who sold grain to all his people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them. But he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? He asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Now, the brothers hadn't recognized Joseph at this point. And so, you know, Joseph said, I don't think you were from the land of Canaan to to buy food. I think you're spies. And they said, oh, no, we're not spies. We are the the children of, of one father. And... You know, there's, there's something really interesting here. Look at verse 13. Your servants were twelve brothers, the sons of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father, and one is no more. wonder how Joseph felt when he heard them say that. How about that? One is no more. Well, Joseph kept saying to them, well, yeah, I, I, so what? I, I, don't, I still think you're spies. So I tell you what, I'm going to put all of you in prison and I'm going to let one of them go and he's got to bring that brother back and when he brings that brother back, then I know you're telling the truth. So he put them all in prison and left them there for three days. And then he decided, you know, he, you know, he was going to you know, carry out his plan, progress with it. So he went to them and said, I tell you what, I'm a man who fears God. So I'm going to let you go, but I'm going to keep one of you here in prison. The rest of you go home, and you bring that brother back. And don't come back expecting to get any food unless you come back with that brother. So they were released. They went on their way. They uh, got back home. They, They told everything to Jacob. And as they told everything to Jacob, Jacob was pretty upset. He had already lost Joseph. Now here was another brother gone. And these other brothers are want to take the youngest son back to Egypt? Uh Uh-uh. He wasn't going to let that happen. Well, the famine lasted and lasted and lasted. Finally, Jacob said to the boys, All right, go back to Egypt and get some more food. And the brothers said, We can't go back unless we take Benjamin with us. He's got to see them. You don't realize what the power this man has down there. And the father said, well, you know, if it must happen, it must happen. Judah, one of the brothers, said, I'll guarantee that he's safe. You trust him to me, I'll take care of him. So they went back all the way down to Egypt to get more food. And as they got there, Joseph received them and brought them into his house. Had a big meal for them. Well, they thought, well, now things are going pretty well. So they got their food. They purchased it. They started back home. It was grain, you know, big sacks of grain. But Joseph told his servant, put my special cup in the youngest one's sack. And that's what they did. And then after they would got a head start, he said to the servant, now go after them. So the servant went after them, caught up with them, and said, you all, one of you, maybe all of you, have stolen my master's special cup, silver cup. And they said, we wouldn't do such a thing. Here, open our bags and see. Go through our goods. Well, you know, they, they said, if you find it, we'll be your slaves. And the man said, oh, no, just the one that took it, that's the one that'll be the slave. So they started going through the bags, started with the oldest, worked their way down to the youngest, and lo and behold, the cup, was in the sack that belonged to the youngest son. He's going to take him back as a slave. All of them. They couldn't stand that. They said, no, that can't happen. All of them went back. All of them appeared before Joseph. All of them threw themselves down in front of him. And Judah said, make me a slave. I'll stay in the boy's place. I promised my father that I would vouch for him, and I'm going to. You can send him back, but I'll stay as a slave. Joseph realized these guys have finally got straightened out. They're finally looking at things a little differently. So let's see what happens. 45, beginning with verse three. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph, is my father still living? but his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Can't you imagine? You know, what if you had treated someone in your family the way they had treated him, sold him off as a slave, and then all of a sudden, here he is, you know, one of the most powerful people in the whole world, and you're standing face to face, and you're thinking, oh no, what's he going to do? Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And I'm thinking, they're thinking, we've had it now. But listen to what he says. And now do but be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years there will not be plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. And skip down to verse 14. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept, and Benjamin embraced him weeping. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterward, his brothers talked with him. Wow, what a reunion. Don't you think those brothers were amazed? For one moment, they, you know, they'd, they'd been dreading something like this you know, happening, being paid back in some way for what they'd done with Joseph. If you read that whole account, they're saying, you know, the reason these bad things are happening to us is because of what we did to Joseph, and then all of a sudden they're face to face with him, and then he receives them graciously. He forgives them. He embraces them. He weeps with them. He talks with them. Wow. Isn't that fantastic? Not what you would expect. It's what happened. Joseph said, Go back home and tell my father that I'm alive and bring him back here. And then they did that. If you look at chapter 46, beginning with verse 29. The brothers went back and got Jacob, brought him back. Joseph had his chariot made ready and went to Goshen to meet his father Israel. As soon as Joseph appeared before him, he threw his arms around his father and wept for a long time. Think of that beautiful scene. Father's favorite child. Didn't know he'd ever see his father again. Father had given him up for dead. And now they get to meet him again. Israel said to Joseph, Now I'm ready to die, since I have seen for myself that you are still alive. Oh, if you're a father, you can understand how he felt. The son that he thought was gone had been restored to him. Look at 47 11, 12. So Joseph settled his father and his brothers in Egypt and gave them property in the best part of the land, the district of Ramses, as Pharaoh directed. Joseph also provided his father and his brothers and all his father's household with food according to the number of their children. Wow. He gave his brothers property. He gave his brothers food. He provided for their whole families. What a magnanimous person. I think you could truly say that Joseph was a good steward of his relationship, of his relationships with his brothers. He was a good steward of his relationships, and it's amazing what he was able to do. Now, if you you think about Joseph, you could think that he was one who was a good steward of his relationship. One of the things was he had a relationship with God. Look at the various scriptures that talk about that. Look at chapter 42. He went to his brothers on verse 18. He said, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live, for I fear God. He feared God. Joseph feared God. Joseph wanted to be obedient to God. When Potiphar's wife was tempting him, he said to her, How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? His relationship with God, even in the midst of the struggles he was going through, kept him from sinning against God. No matter what happened to him, he was going to live in such a way that God would be honored. He also was able to understand what God's purposes were in the world. Look at 45, verse 7. It says, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. And then in chapter 50, verse 20, he told his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Joseph was able to look at his whole life and see that God had been working in all of it when he didn't have a clue how God could possibly be involved but he caught on to what God was doing. Joseph was in a relationship with God, and it wasn't just a one-way relationship either. It was a two-way relationship. Again, back over in chapter 39, verse 2, after Joseph had been made a slave in Potiphar's house, it says, The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered. And if you look... Over at verse 21, after he was put in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the warden. It was a two-way thing. Even in the midst of the trouble, God was still there. God was still helping. Joseph was in a relationship with God. The most important relationship we have is with God. The most important relationship we have is with God. Because you see, that's the one that's going to last. That's the one that supersedes all others. Jesus said, now this is eternal life, that they may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Knowing Jesus and God is what eternal life is all about. Notice it doesn't say knowing about God or knowing about Jesus. He's talking about being in a relationship with Jesus and a relationship with God through Jesus. It's the most important relationship you could have because when you've got that relationship, then you have eternal life and we will have relationships forever. Now, to enter into a relationship with God, we've got to be forgiven of our sins. God is holy. God is just. And because He is a holy and just God, We can't just go into the presence of that holy God if we are sinners. Sin can't be in the presence of a holy God. Then the problem is, we are sinners. We've broken his commandments, we've disobeyed what he wanted us to do, we've tried to live by our own devices. As Isaiah said, all of us like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to our own way. Like Eve, we think we can run our lives better than God can run them. We're sinners. And there's not a thing we can do to change that. We don't have the strength. We don't have the ability. We can't be righteous enough to stand before a holy God. So we need a Savior. And since God knew that, he provided a Savior. God loved us so much that He sent His one and only Son into the world that if we put our trust in Him, if we believe in Him, we won't perish, but we'll have that everlasting life. God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He paid the price for our sin. He made the sacrifice on the cross. What's the result? He's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption. What's that? The forgiveness of sins. The blood of Christ covers our sins so that our sin doesn't stand in the way of us having a relationship with a holy God anymore. Now, once we receive Jesus, but what does He do? God made Him, that is Christ, who had no sin, to be sin for us. So that in Him, we might have the righteousness of God. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus has the power to forgive us of our sin, cleanse us of them. Then wrap us in His righteousness. So that when we stand before the Father, we stand in the righteousness of His Son who never sinned. Do you need a relationship with God? You get it through Jesus and letting Jesus forgive you of your sins and give you eternal life. That's the only way, folks. You need a relationship with God. That's how you get it. and it all goes back to God's love. Well, if you have a relationship with God... Not only is that going to give you a relationship with Him for all eternity, but it's going to make a difference in all of your other relationships as well. That was true of Joseph. He had a relationship with God. Now, think about these things. Joseph was the one who had been wronged. His brothers, as I was saying, they were the ones that done him wrong. They had really treated him poorly. They had really treated him treacherously. And he had the power to extract revenge. He was second in command of all of Egypt. He wouldn't have had any trouble getting even with them. He could have been harsh with them. He could have thrown them in prison and left them there. He could have said, get out of here, go back to Canaan, and I won't have a thing to do with you, and no, you can't have any food. He could have done those things, but he didn't. He chose to be a good steward of his relationships. And how did he do that? what he did. It was forgiveness. Forgiveness. He forgave them. Not revenge. What else? He loved them instead of hated them. Isn't that amazing? He loved them instead of hating them for all he had been through because of what they had done. He accepted them instead of rejecting them. He chose to look to God's purpose and what God was doing instead of sit and stew in his own bitterness over what had happened. He was a good steward of his relationships. Are you a good steward of the relationship you have with God? Stop and think about it. Do you share it with others? Do you share about your relationship with others? Do you share the forgiveness that God has given you. He's forgiven you of the sins you couldn't do anything about on your own. He's been merciful to you. You deserve death in hell. He you know, didn't give it to you. He's given His grace to you because you, know, you didn't deserve the good that He's given you, but He's given you eternal life as a gift. He's kind to you. He keeps you. He watches over you. He's with you every single day of your life. He does it because he loves you. Now, do you share that? Do you share that forgiveness with others? Do you share that love with others? Are you merciful? Do you show grace? Are you kind? You well, know, sometimes people in the church think that they're righteous because of the things they don't do. but they're not doing the things they're supposed to do. These very things. We're to be good stewards of our relationship. We must forgive those who have wronged us. We must show mercy. It's amazing to me how much mercy Joseph showed to his brothers. They didn't deserve all the good he gave them. It didn't matter, it wasn't dependent on them, it was dependent on what was in him. And He showed that mercy. He gave them grace. He piled up gifts upon them. We're to show grace to others. We're to do good to the others who don't deserve it. Isn't that what God did with you? You didn't deserve what He's done for you. We pass on that grace. We also are kind. We seek to be kind to others. In every situation, no matter how they've treated us, We strive to be kind to them. We can't hold grudges, or we shouldn't, and we don't seek revenge. We read about that when Anita read from Romans 12, didn't we? Vengeance belongs to God. Let Him repay. We don't have to extract it. It belongs to Him. There's one other thing we need to realize. We will work to rebuild broken relationships. Sometimes relationships get broken. You know, that was especially important to Jesus. Listen to what he said in Matthew chapter 5. If you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. We've been doing a stewardship emphasis and we know the importance of giving to God. God wants it, He expects it. But there's a higher stewardship. And that higher stewardship is maintaining our relationships with others and repairing them if they're broken. And it means that we don't sit around playing church when we need to be going out there and making those relationships right. Jesus took it seriously. And He wants us to take it seriously as well should also be using our relationships to connect others with Jesus. We're beginning to hear more and more our our new church mission statement, connecting with Jesus, connecting with others, connecting others with Jesus. Well, that's what we're supposed to be doing. We're to use our relationship to connect others with Jesus. Who are you in relationship with that needs to know Jesus? One of the most effective things, one of the most effective ways to reach people is for the people in the church who know Jesus to share it with the people outside the church who don't. And that is most effective in a relationship that you already have or that you're willing to establish. And then when you do that, then you can bring them into the church and connect them with others in the church. And again, that's the most effective way to get this done. What would happen if... In the next 12 months, the next 365 days, you used your relationships to help one person come to Jesus, then got them involved in the church. Well, third Sunday in March this time next year, there'd be twice as many of you here. <laughs> twice as many learning about God, serving God, growing with Him, it's an effective relationships. Make sure you have a relationship with God. That's the most important relationship. If you don't have that one, the rest of them aren't going to matter long. You need that relationship, that personal relationship with God. Trust God to work for good in all of your relationships. Hey, we're human. We mess with each other. We hurt each other. You know, relationships are always easy. Trust God to be working no matter what happens. That's what Joseph did. Forgive. Forgive. Ask forgiveness. Takes both, folks. Sometimes we have to forgive. Sometimes we have to ask for forgiveness. Be open to reconciliation. And don't just be open to it, work for it. Be proactive. Go after it. Try to make it happen. In every relationship, employ love, employ forgiveness, employ mercy, employ grace, and employ kindness. Do these things and you will be a good steward of your relationships. Keep those in mind as we continue to worship our Lord.